Well, if you remembered, I know I did. It's the only thing I was thinking of when it happened. Pastor Van pulled out this. Let's see if I have it upside down. I have no clue if it's upside down or what. He pulled out this blueprint, all right, of our church building. What's the one thing that you notice about this blueprint? One thing I noticed is it's not blue. And I was like, why isn't it blue? All right, that's the only thing I kept thinking. And I figured that there were some people out there like me that this didn't really get me because I have no idea about construction or what that all means. I didn't know what a trust was. I didn't know what all this meant that he was trying to say to me. But I bet you there's some people out there that are very similar to me in this, that you probably bought one of those things you got to put together from Walmart. Anybody out there like that? You ever put something together from Walmart or something like that? Nobody. Wow. Okay, well, I... Well, I'm assuming there's someone, someone out there, so I'll just talk to you. Okay, you and I can have a conversation. Well, you get this box that you're putting together a shelf, or maybe it's a desk, or maybe it's this toy that your kid just got that you thought was just going to be easy. It's just going right out of the package. You're going to put some batteries in it. That's all I have to do. And then you come to find out, dun, 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 there's about 50 pages of directions of how to put this thing together. And then you're seeing A it goes into B and B to C, then A squared plus B squared equals C squared. And you're like, I have no clue. I'm in algebra again. All right, and you're just looking at this thing. Well, maybe you're like me. I'm, I'm just, well, there are, I bet you there's some other people out there that you get this thing and you're like, this is easy. I'm just going to put this thing together. All right, I'm going to pick this thing up. <clears throat> I'm just going to put this thing together. So you being a man or maybe, maybe you're a, a woman that really doesn't like anybody telling you what to do, so you, you know, know, instructions, whatever. You get out this thing, you get all these pieces together, it's labeled A, B, C, there's screws here and things there, and you start putting stuff together, and all of a sudden, you come to the end, you look at the glory that's there before you, and all of a sudden, what happens? You reach down and... The manufacturer must put some extra pieces in there. The sad thing is, you know, that happens to me, and I follow the directions. Wow. We have the instruction manual here. We choose not to look at it. Well, Pastor Van was using the idea of the blueprint last week as that God has given the church, not just the universal church around, but the local church, FBC, Fellowship Bible Church, an instruction manual of how to structure our church and how to conduct our behavior within the church. And we looked at that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And if you would, why don't you turn there? 1 Timothy chapter 3. Well, our church is supposed to be organized... And it's supposed to conduct its behavior according to the word of God and nothing else. Nothing else. Well, what's the reason for that? Well, the reason is that we are to do it because, one, God tells us to. 
2, the gospel is at stake. The gospel. Do you know what I mean by the gospel? I ask, the, I ask this question to many people that I come in contact with, usually in the church, sometimes outside the church. What is the gospel? I ask that question. And sometimes they don't know. So let me share with you really quick what the gospel is. And you know, in fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul kind of shares the gospel to us. In a brief summary, he says this, He, Jesus, was manifested or appeared in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, meaning the Spirit confirmed who He was, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That's our Jesus. The Gospel. Jesus came, who is God. He came and put on flesh in order to die for you and for me because of our sin issue that we have. Because of our sin, God, who is holy, has to punish sin. He will punish sin. Jesus came to take your punishment, to die on the cross, taking his, your punishment on Him, and rose again from the dead to prove what He did on that cross and what He said in His life was true. And who He was is who He is. And He was raised to the right hand of God the Father. And you know what else? He's coming back again to take His own, to take His children, and to obliterate the enemy. Man, that's our Jesus, that's our God. That's the good news, the gospel. And I tell you, I tell you that the gospel is at stake when we get off kilter as a church in our structure, if we're not following the blueprint and don't structure our church the way it should, if we don't conduct our behavior in the way that the instruction manual says to conduct our behavior, the gospel is at stake. Paul said here in verse 15, he said that the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's right. Fellowship Bible Church, right here, is this entity, this organism, that is a pillar and buttress to the truth, the gospel, and all the truth of the Word of God. We're to protect, we're to uphold, we're to lift it up, we're to proclaim it. And that's our responsibility. But when we get our structure off, when our behavior goes haywire, that is when the gospel is most vulnerable to be distorted. And we've talked about this. It's, it's been months now. We were in chapter 2. The structure of our church. We should be a church at Fellowship Bible Church where men, you remember this in chapter 2? Where men and women, we pray for everyone. We're to pray for our leaders and our authorities, whoever they are, whether we agree with them or whether we don't. We're to pray for our leaders that we might have safety and peace in the land. That we could be able to proclaim the gospel to anyone, anywhere. We are to be a church that prays for everyone to be saved. 
Not just people that we like. Not just people who are similar to us. But everyone. That would mean there should be no kind of prejudice within this church. We should be a church that the men in here, men and boys striving to be young godly men, should be able to raise their hand in prayer with holiness. That it's just not this outward conduct that I'm trying to um, make everyone see. That, hey, look at me, I'm spiritual. Look what I'm doing. No, it should come from our hearts. We should have men in here that are pursuing after holiness. That you're pursuing after godliness. That's the kind of church we should be. We should be a church that the women in this congregation at Fellowship Bible Church should be the kind of women that are not trying to promote this kind of form of godliness by their outward adornment or clothing. Look at me. Look what I'm wearing. I look like a godly person. No, we should have women in this church who submit to the authority that's over them, to the elders, to their husbands, to learn in quietness. We should have these kind of women's, women that don't adorn themselves necessarily with clothes, jewelry, and, and, though you can. I'm not saying you can't. Just make that be known. But your godliness should come out from your works and not from what's on the outside. We should be a church that structures or places, puts elders in position that are qualified for the position. We should have godly men who their purpose and aim in this life or in this church is to proclaim the word of God for what it says, not what they want it to say. We should have elders like that. We should have deacons. This should be a church that has deacons who have a heart to serve who are qualified for the position. Who, they're not just Uncle Harry, who's got a lot of power in the church. And we're like, well, I guess we got to put him in. You know, or he's going to complain. Who cares if Harry complains? He can go find another church if he's going to complain. Well, he can stay here if he wants. But we put elders in position that, well, you know, we got nobody else, so we guess, I guess we got to put old Johnny in as to be an elder. You know, you know, he's a good businessman. He seems like a good leader, so he's probably a good fit. But old Johnny's a drunk. We should not be a church that pursues after those things. And when we get off the structure of what the Scripture says, that our instruction manual, that, that is when the gospel message is most vulnerable. Now, Fellowship Bible Church folds or falls. God willing, it will not. But if it ever did, the gospel will continue. God's more powerful than this local body of believers. It'll have an impact in the community. It'll leave a scar, but the gospel will continue. Churches will be planted. People will be saved. But we don't want to be that church. We do not want to be that church. And this is important, to follow the instruction manual in your life. So, how does that apply to me? What does that have anything to do with me as an individual person? Well, we're going to talk about something. When we get off kilter with our structure and our conduct, 
like I said, that's when the gospel is at risk of being distorted. We're going to answer, or ask at least, two questions. I'll let you answer it. We're going to ask two questions this morning. The first question is this. Will you fall away from the faith? Will you fall away from the faith? The second question is this. Will you cling to the faith? Will you cling to the faith? The faith meaning the content of the gospel. You know, just like when you put that, put that bookshelf together or whatever it is, and you don't really follow the instruction manual, and then you have those pieces, ching 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 left over. Kind of affects the structural integrity or the structural integrity of the uh, object. Usually, sometimes you might get away with it, but not here. This is what happens when our church messes up with our structure and how we act with one another. There are casualties of war. Casualties. There are people that fall away from the faith. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody that was once on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ and all of a sudden they became an atheist? Well, it wasn't all of a sudden. Or do you know that person, that close friend of yours maybe, who was in the church, maybe something happened in that church and they got tricked by either a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or whoever it might be. And they went by the wayside and followed after false doctrine. I have a story of a guy I went to school with at Appalachian Bible College. Great guy. Brilliant. Brilliant guy. He was... uh, It seemed that he, he loved the Lord Jesus... Uh, he was pursuing after uh, uh, God from what it seemed. He's one of these guys that actually liked to study. Yeah, kind of a weird guy. Uh, he, he, he even liked to study languages like Greek. Who does that? Now oh, I did. Okay, so I'm a nerd. Um, <laughs> great family. He's raised up in a great family. He's a homeschooler and uh, wonderful guy. This was a guy at Appalachian Bible College who studied hard, yet his involvement in church was, was limited. Yeah, you can actually go to Bible college and not really go to church. And through his, through his time there, not being connected with the local body, uh, it was a good church, not being connected with the local body, spending time with people that maybe he shouldn't have spent time with, And he was also this kind of guy who always questioned everything. Always, there's nothing wrong with that. I tend to kind of be in that category sometimes. So I don't want to put myself in that category. Always questioning things. Can we really believe in the deity of Christ? Can we, what about this, that and the other? It happened that there was an incident in his life where one of his buddies was murdered. No one, is actually his national news, but his buddy was murdered. And at that point on, brought him over the edge. 
This guy now no longer believes in Jesus Christ, no longer believes in God, and is doing whatever he wants. And you probably could rattle off, I have more stories of person after person that I know that have left the faith, do no longer believe in the gospel, no longer believe in Jesus Christ, no longer believe in God. They fell away. Do you know what Paul says? Chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Won't you look with me? We probably all have stories like that, but we shouldn't be surprised when that happens. We shouldn't be surprised when that happens. And Paul says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. That some will depart from the faith. I want you to take just a moment. I know this is really weird when, when people up front tell you to do something. I don't like doing it personally. But since I'm up here, I'm going to ask you to do it. Okay? I just want you to take a couple seconds. And I want you just to look around you. So you can look in the back. You can side to side. Look around at all the people in here real quick. Look around at all the people. All right. All right, now, now you saw what that noise was behind you. Okay, now you can look here. The people that you looked at, quite possibly, may be the same people next year that will not be here. Quite possibly, and Paul would indicate that could be a possibility, is that there are some people in here that are going to leave the faith. You're going to reject God. You're going to reject God. You're going to reject His gospel. That will happen. Here's the question for you. Will it be you? Will it be you? I pray not. This is a serious matter. And that's why Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Man, we've got to take this serious, folks. We've got to follow this instruction manual right here about how we structure our church. Uh, this isn't a joking matter. This isn't thing, something that we should just eh, take casually. This could be someone's soul in here that's in danger. So will you leave the faith? So really the question I should ask is, are you saved? Are you saved? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you in Him alone? Have you repented of your sins? You turned from your sins, asked forgiveness, and turned to Jesus Christ to save you? Have you done that? Have you? Man, today is the day to do it. Today is the day of your salvation. Won't you turn to Jesus today? Call on Him and ask Him to save you from your sins because you can't do it yourself. You can't save yourself. We have so many people in this world who have a distortion of the gospel and we're going to get into who distort the gospel and say, we've got to do this, 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 and this in order to you, for you to be saved. You've got to be baptized in order to be saved. You've got to do so many prayers in order to be saved. 
you have to go door to door and tell people, I don't know what they tell people, in order to be saved. You gotta do, do, do. And the thing is, Jesus already, it's done, done, done. It's done, it's done, it's over. Jesus died on the cross. He said, it is finished. Yes. If you are that person here today, that you have never heard your mouth, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you need to do that today, before it is too late. Before you die and you go to hell. Because that is reality. That is reality. You say, I might not, I don't believe it. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Just because you don't believe in gravity doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's real. Trust in Jesus today. So the two questions, the one question, will you fall away from the faith? We shouldn't be surprised of it. We shouldn't be surprised when it happens. And we're going to see three things here. We're going to see three things that Paul wants to tell us about falling away or apostasy. Apostasy just means to fall away. So here's three things. One, we're going to look at the source of apostasy. The second thing is the instigator of apostasy. And the third is the attraction of apostasy, as we see here in the text. So the source of apostasy, it says this in the second part of verse 1, by devoting themselves, let's read the verse, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. What? You know, Paul's talking to the church here. We're talking to Timothy. But he's talking to the church. And it's, he says that the source of apostasy is from demons. It's from Satan himself. People are falling away by the, the teachings of spirits, or the teaching, the doctrine of demons. Really? I just want you to know that it's not like the movies. You know how the movies kind of portray it? You know, they're running away from these evil, evil spirits or whatever they're running away from. And all of a sudden, where do they find safety? That's right. A church building. Usually a Catholic building. They, they run to the, the church building. I just want you to know that there is no holy ground that Satan can't tread on. In fact, it's interesting that in the book of Job, Satan stands before God in heaven. I don't think he has realm in heaven anywhere, but Satan can go anywhere. And you know that he is right here in this church now? It's true. Do you know that he is working? He is working his magic in this church. He wants to destroy Fellowship Bible Church. He wants to get us off our structure that God has given us. And he wants to get you off your behavior that God has shown you what you need to do. So when we, when we hear about conflicts within our church... That's a result of Satan working in our church. When we hear about fights and skirmishes, when 
when we hear about, potentially I haven't heard this, but people teaching false things, that is Satan at work. And the, and the source of all apostasy comes from Satan. Oh, he's alive and well, church. And he's probably here among us in some sense. So the source of apostasy is Satan himself, who has no jurisdiction nor holy ground that he can't tread on. In fact, Satan has been the source of all apostasy. Man, we go back to the Garden of Eden. Remember that? Adam and Eve down there, perfect, perfect uh, uh, little society there. Only two of them, not much of a society. But oh, who was it? Who was it that destroyed the perfect scene there? Satan himself. We could probably go on and on throughout the Bible. We even look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and Hymenaeus and Alexander. Men who were even handed over to Satan because of what they were doing. Man, he is the source. The instigator, as we continue on in chapter, in chapter 4 verse 2, he says this, Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. We got these people in our church. Maybe there's some here today. There are those false teachers out here. How do we spot them? Well, they're not the kind of people that have... Pastor Van used this illustration. I thought it was funny, but I won't be able to do it. Won't be those kind of people that have horns on their head and a little tail that points out, has a little pitchfork, Read a little too much of Dante's Inferno. <laughs> that is not what they look like. How in the world can you tell them apart? Well, I, I, I don't know. They could be male, they could be female. You're not, as Pastor Van said, you're not going to have a Sunday school teacher that's going to come in <laughs> and be like this demon. Ah, come into class, kids. Ah. You're not going to have that. Uh, you know, Satan appears as an angel of light, doesn't he? Doesn't he? You know, it's interesting that I, I, had, a, I had a friend who um, was at a church. His dad was a pastor uh, in Lewisburg, West Virginia. Beautiful place. He was in Lewisburg, West Virginia, and he told me a story about how there, there's a big Wiccan population um, in Lewisburg. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Wicca, but it uh, has to do with witches and uh, all that. It's supposed to be the good magic uh, or the white magic. Whatever. It's all evil. Um, what, what they would do is this. They would take one person from whatever they call themselves, a little organization, group, or whatever, and that one person would infiltrate the church. Seriously, they planned this. Would infiltrate the church. They probably wouldn't do this. They would probably just walk in. Okay? They didn't have horns. They're actually really nice people if you've ever talked to them. They don't like you, but they're nice people. They come in, and they start getting into the church, getting to know people, you know, bringing them over for lunch or whatever it might be. Very intelligent. Ah, then they start teaching. 
Well, and as they become more friends with you, they, they start talking to you about a few things. Like, hey, have you ever, have you ever known anything about this Wicca before? And show you the power that's in Wicca. And all of a sudden, they lead people astray. That actually happens. I was like, no. He's like, yeah. Yeah, we had to kick the guy out. So you can't come back. Uh, I think there was like a little bit of aggression there. But... So they come as angels as light, angels of light, just like Satan would. There's another story. I was in, I was in Jerusalem um, in Israel. And I was in the newer section of the city. Um, I was walking down. Me and my buddy were sitting down on this I don't know, rock. We are sitting down on this rock waiting for uh, some ladies to get out of the... Um, they were shopping, and I can't stand shopping. So we sat outside. Uh, and all of a sudden, this guy came to us. He had one of those big old black hats. He looked like a rabbi. He had the curly locks right here. Uh, he wasn't, but he looked like it. We started talking with this guy. And man, this guy was the most jovial person, happy, uh, joyous. And we just interacted with him a little bit. He came straight up to us, and he started talking to us about Yeshua. And Yeshua is the Hebrew word for Jesus. So he started talking to us about Jesus. And he's like, oh, tell us all this stuff. It sounded great. It sounded great. And then he got into it a little bit. He's like, so do you, do you obey the, the Torah? Do you obey the Ten Commandments? I'm like, well, as, as, as best I can. He's like, do you, do you uh, hold to the Sabbath? Do you follow the Sabbath? I was like, no, sir, I do not follow the Sabbath. In the New Testament, it doesn't require us to hold to the Sabbath. And if you have an issue with that, you can come talk to me about it later. It doesn't, doesn't require, to, require us to hold to the Sabbath. He's like, you don't hold to the Sabbath? You can't be saved! And I was just transported back in time to like the book of Galatians, where it's talking about these guys coming into the church... And saying, you've got to follow the law. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow everything. You've got to obey the Sabbath. You've got to obey the festivals and all those things. And, and I, was, I was kind of shooken up a little bit. I was like, because it sounded so good. I'm like, maybe I'm wrong. I'm a, I'm a guy who went to Bible college. And I was getting flustered. The guy was just peppering me with verse after verse. It's, it's like he memorized the entire New Testament. I was like, what do I do? I, don't, I can't quote these verses. felt so dumb. <laughs> you ever felt that way before? Yeah. <laughs> and he got me. Well, until we started opening up the scriptures and blasting back at him a little bit more. The guy was a false teacher, a false prophet, professing that he knows Jesus, but he didn't. Man, they're alive and well. They're men, as Paul says, that through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. You know what that's an idea of? There's a couple ways you can take that. One is that their conscience has been seared where they they don't really know what, what right and wrong is. That's one way you can look at it. The other way that you can look at this, I think it's a little bit more accurate, is that these people, these people have been branded by Satan. 
They've been brent. That's right. I don't know if any of you have dealt with cows before. Just to let you know, I haven't. All right. But I've seen it on TV. They take these brands and... So it's ownership. It's the same way with Satan and these people, these instigators of apostasy. They are branded by Satan. He uses them as his tools. And church, there might be some of those people here today. There might be some of those people here today. I tell you what, we need to keep our structure. That's what the book says. We need to conduct our behavior in the way that the manual says. Or we, or you, might be in trouble. You could be in trouble. Third thing, the attraction of apostasy. The attraction of apostasy is its righteous appearance. Is its righteous appearance. It says this, verse 3. These guys, these people who have been seared in their conscience, branded by Satan... Verse 3, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Okay, so as you read that, I'm prob- probably you think the same way that I did. You're like, what is the big deal? They're telling people not to get married and they're saying, hey, don't eat that food. Well, it's okay not to get married. There are some people maybe in this congregation who've chosen not to get married, and that's fine. There are some people in this congregation who've decided, I'm not going to eat certain, th- certain kinds of foods, like Twinkies. Which I really don't think applies to this passage, because it says, all things God created is good. I don't think God created a Twinkie. There's something kind of devilish about it. How it can last for eons and still taste lovely. (laughs) So the wrong thing is about this issue of abstaining from marriage and certain kinds of foods is that they were requiring it for their salvation. You need to believe in Jesus. Oh yeah, by the way, you also need to abstain from marriage. (laughs) Okay, Uh, and you also need to abstain from certain kinds of foods. Really? No. No. It was evil, and it was demonic. So there was an attraction, and you might be thinking, well, how is this even attractive to not get married? I want to get married. And I like food. Okay? I I don't see how this is attractive. But well, you know, isn't it interesting that when, when we feel like we want to be holy, what do we do sometimes? We think it's holy that we abstain from things, that we don't do things. Whether it's, well, I, whether it's I don't, I don't drink, I'm, I'm a teetotaler, and that's fine position to take, or whatever it might be in your life. Isn't it interesting that we just push things away? And it seems attractive. We have people in history who have put themselves in solitude 
for years and years and years, usually monks. One monk I'm thinking of in particular, his name was Alexander, who isolated himself in this one village by himself um, for years, never to hear of anybody, never to see anybody, though people would come and give him food and things like that. And we look at that and say, well, that's holy. I think it's crazy. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that all the commands that God has given us, or that Paul has given us, Peter, whoever, is in the context of a church, a group of people? So to isolate ourselves is crazy. But we have this mentality, and it looks attractive. Look at their outward appearance. Look what they're doing. Isn't that great? So this form of godliness looks holy and distorts the gospel and leads people astray. Well, so will you fall away from the faith? You know the source is Satan. The instigators of apostasy are Satan's messengers, and they're probably here among us. And the attraction of apostasy is its righteous appearance. Last question, and brief. Will you cling to the faith? Will you cling to the faith? It says in verse 4, well, second part of verse 3, in, in light of this food, Paul says this, that God created this food to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Two things there. Believe by those who believe and know the truth. Clinging to the faith is going to cost you something. And it's going to require you something. One is this. It will require you to pursue truth. It's going to require you to pursue truth. In these these three verses right here, Paul uses one argument and kind of repeats it three times. Let's see what the first part of the argument is. I'm going to kind of skip through these verses, so try to stay with me if you can. He says this. In that first, the second part of verse 3, he says that this food uh, that God created to be received with thanksgiving. Verse 4, for, God, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected. Verse 5, for it is made holy by the word of God. Where does Paul get this information at? That all things are good. Well, he gets it from the word itself. Genesis chapter 1. God created all things, and all things were good. He created man. It was good. But it wasn't too good because he needed someone. He needed a woman. And then it was very good. That's exactly right. I the passion in there. Very good. That's exactly right. God created all things to be good. Then the, then the Mosaic Law comes along... And God prohibits some foods to be eaten, like pork and things like that, those wonderful, delectable goodies. And that was for a purpose, to keep, those, to keep the Israelite nation more separated from the pagan nations. Okay? But then the gospel comes. And in the gospel, Jesus declares all foods good or edible. In Mark chapter 7, verse 19 Jesus says, well, actually, Mark says, Mark says, in Jesus declaring what he, did, what he said, he declares that all foods are good and acceptable to eat. You can look at that. 
Because of the gospel, we now can eat anything. And what these false teachers are doing are distorting the gospel message. They're distorting it. You're going to believe in Jesus? Oh yeah, and abstain from this as well. Or you're not going to be saved. Oh, and by the way, don't get married. What? Marriage is good. Genesis chapter, chapter 1, chapter 2. They got married. That's good. Those are good. Those are the things that God has created. You, in order to cling to the faith, have to pursue truth. Are you doing that? Are you pursuing truth? The people that are being led astray in verses 1 through 5 are those people who are ignorant, are not pursuing after truth, and really are just pursuing after what they want, their own desires. Are you pursuing truth? Are are you coming to church with a ready mind to accept what is being taught? Are you coming on Wednesday night, uh, men, maybe to a uh, Bible, men's Bible study? Uh, maybe teens, are you coming to youth group or a Sunday school? Uh, children, are you coming to an Olympians or whatever it might be? Husbands, fathers, are you teaching your children? Wives, are you teaching the children so that they might know? Are you pursuing after truth? Second thing, and lastly, it will require you to accept the truth. All right? It will require you to accept the truth. And it says this, follow along with me if you can, that, again, God created all these foods to be received with thanksgiving. And in the second part of verse 4, it says that nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. In the last part of verse 5, it says this, for for it was made holy by the word of God, and prayer. Now you might look at that verse and think, is prayer have this magical power or something like that that makes food holy? Well, no. No. What it does is when you come before your food, and you probably do this on a regular basis, I would assume, when you come before your food, you bow your head and give thanks for what God has given you. You are agreeing that all things God has created are good. So not only are you to pursue the truth, but you are to accept the truth. You are to accept the truth. And in that example that Paul gives, that they, when you come before your food and you pray, you accept the truth that all things from God are good. The truth from the Word. So you come here. You come here to church Sunday school, wherever it is, you hear the word preached, you're pursuing after truth, do you accept it? Even though it might go against those things that you believe, even though it might go against those things you believe, men are like, in here, you're like, merciful? What are you talking about, be merciful? I know the Bible says it, but that's not what it means to be a man. Men are... Men are those guys who sit on the couch and belch and watch TV and watch too much UFC fighting and hit people. Merciful, that's not in my blood. Are you kidding me? Really? You have to accept what the Word of God says about what it means to be a man. Women, in the same kind of way. Maybe you have the idea that, come under authority of a man. I don't think so. Mm -mm. Men are not going to tell me what to do. (laughs) Really? That's hard. I, I, I'm saying in a joking, joking way. Our, our society has just really destroyed what it really means to be a woman. Man. 
ladies, are you going to come and accept the truth of what the Bible says about who you are, who he created you to be? And it is good. So will you accept the truth, even though you might not agree with it? You accept it because that's what God says. That's what I believe. Well, will you fall away from the faith? I hope not. I hope not. And that's why we as a church have to, have to struggle. We have to fight in order to keep the structure of our church sound and to keep our conduct and behavior what it should be. So are you saved this morning? Are you saved this morning? Call upon Jesus today. Call upon Jesus today. Are you pursuing the truth? Do you have a time in your life during your week where you open up the Word and you eat it as our friend Jim Shoopy encourages us to do? And when you come to the Word and you hear teaching that is just not what you believe, but it's true, it comes from the Word, do you accept it no matter the cost, no matter what it says? Man, we are going to be a great church if we hold to the manual. We are going to be a church of godly men and women. We are going to be a church that has appropriate leadership in position. We are going to be a church that as a result, the gospel flourishes because of the environment that we have created here because we're following the manual. The gospel is going to flourish. It is going to send men and women from this congregation out to foreign countries, out around the world, in order to plant churches. We're going to plant more churches other than Bakerton or wherever it might be. God is going to use that as we are faithful to His Word. Are you faithful to His Word? Do you want to pursue the truth? Do you want to accept the truth? Do it! Because God will use this church in a mighty way to impact this world for His name's sake, and His name will be lifted up, and His name is Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we just want to thank You for Your Word. I pray You would help us, Lord. There, there could be, as Paul said, that this isn't a, uh, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised if it happens, if someone falls away from the truth. But Lord, we don't want to see anybody fall away from the gospel. I pray for everyone in here that you would help them to pursue truth, to accept what you have to say. I pray, for, Father, for those that are in here that don't have a relationship with Jesus. Lord, I ask you that you would save them. Lord, I pray for anyone in here that is one of those instigators, false teachers who are coming in to take away disciples. Get them out, Lord. Remove them or save them. We ask you that you protect this church and use us to lift up your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.